No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide podcast and project back for another story to share with you this week my friend steve skax joins us he's an army veteran and we have been uh working together uh on a number of projects in the past he's come on the veteran empire podcast when i've done that um and we've continually talk about ways to collaborate and i reached out to him and asked him if he um, you know, I know he's had some darker experiences in his life, and I reached out to him to see if he had ever been through um, a suicide attempt or at least experienced that sort of behavior. And uh, he he said he admitted that he had, and that he'd be willing to come on and share his story uh, with all of us. That way, we can uh, you know remember once again that we're not alone, and that this uh, this experience of depression suicidal behavior, PTSD, whatever you want, whatever you're experiencing, that, that dark space, we're not in it alone. You're not the only one going through these sorts of things. So here is uh, my friend Steve Skax and his experiences with depression and suicide. It, it, I guess it, it definitely is passed down through my family. When my, my whole family on my mother's side is just manic depressants. My grandmother, when her last child, my uncle Roger, was born, she tried to set the whole house on fire and take herself down and everybody with it. My mom, she tried to kill herself when before her and my dad got divorced. And that's kind of when my depression really started. I was probably about 11 or 12. And my parents split up. Um, I was just kind of in a bad place. I was like doing bad in school, just always getting into fights, always just having some kind of issues. I was on every type of medicine for ADD and just everything. And at that time was when, you know, Ritalin was like the experiment and everything was coming out. And they would just put me on all these drugs because my parents didn't really know what to do with it. Cause you know, they, before when my mom was depressed, you know, they didn't have all these outlets. So then there, I was the first one to experiment with therapy, which just kind of made me worse. And, uh, yeah, that was, the the first time um, I actually tried to kill myself, I was taking a bunch of different ADHD medicine, and me and my one girlfriend had broke up for our first time. And my parents had been divorced, and at that time, you know, I was living with my dad and my brother, and we were, like, dirt poor. My dad worked pretty much every day, all day in Delaware. We never saw him, so I was always taking care of my little brother. And I broke up with this girl and I was just like started drinking. I was like 15 or 16 and I would just like take crown Royal that my dad had just get 
start drinking. And then my mom, when she left, she left a bunch of like pain pills. So I would just try to down as many of them as possible. Just drink a whole bunch of Crown Royal. It was pretty bad. I got found. I got taken to the hospital. Um, it the same scenario happened to me two or three times. Uh, a, a really good friend of mine who actually is like one of my best friends, uh, me and her, we were just having a great night, just hanging out. And we had a couple other friends there and I had a bunch of pills and we just started drinking. And at this time I was drinking a bunch of NyQuil on top of it. Cause that was just cool for me, I guess. And, uh, we were just bomb drunk. And I just, before I was too wasted, I went to the bathroom and just downed a whole bunch of pills and, just kept drinking and I didn't say anything to her and everybody thought I was fine. And then I was just like, I'm trying to kill myself. I started like freaking out and I was trying to kill myself. I ended up taking me to the hospital. Uh, that was like the third time that it had happened for me. Um, I really didn't. And I just kept trying to, I kept trying to do it that way for, I don't know. And like did it like three or four times. And finally I ended up, getting a hold of gun. I wrote this like seven page suicide letter. And my dad like found me before I could actually do it. And he just actually like whooped my ass. <laughs> so I don't mean, to, uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean now like in retrospect, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. But, Cause it's, it, it's such the, you know, no one would, th- that's the last uh, thing anybody would suggest that you do. But um, it, I assume you're a parent. It's just like, well, this is, uh, who, who, who did you write? What was in a suicide note? Who are you writing it to? Every, like everybody. Cause I was, I, I've, I feel like I, I even still to this day, there's a lot of stuff that I'll probably end up taking to the grave with me. And it's just some haunting stuff. And I, I'm an insomniac. I can, I never can sleep. And I just, I'm like, literally, I torture myself all the time. And I just, I just literally could not take it anymore. I used to be when I was like 13, I was really, really fat, like retarded fat. And, um, me, when that, me and that girl Morgan broke up, I lost a hundred pounds in three months. And, uh, I was like 160. My, you know, my dad was taking me to the hospital. They all thought I was on drugs and everything. I was just deeply depressed. And that was around the time that I was going to just do myself. But the letter was to her, to my mom, because at that time I wasn't talking to my mom at all. I had told her, and I was guilt. I felt bad about this. I had like told her that if I died, I, I hope that uh, she couldn't like live with it, or she'd have to live with the fact that I hated her for the rest of her life, or something like that. It was terrible, like something terrible to say to your mother, no matter yeah. what she'd done to you. And and I just would that even today, I've apologized to my mom for saying that to her, and no matter what she's done to me, that doesn't make it right and it's still i still feel bad about saying that to her today it's they, just another one of those things that just weighs on me it's uh you know but uh, it's saying it or thinking it is i think more i think we'd be surprised how often that's the case um and, and not because we mean it but because we want our death to mean something and we would want um if someone drove us to if someone did anything to us that it would drive us to taking our own lives, we would want the impact of that to, you know, constantly, um, you know, torment them. And so I think, I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think that's, it, it's selfish. Yeah. 
And and that's why I feel bad about it now. I'm just a guilty. I have a guilty conscience. If I don't if I don't do it, even if I do something minor, I feel bad. And and I think that's why that ass whooping really helped me. And I'm, it's a, it's a weird thing to say, but if if he if he would have basically justified, like I would have felt justified if you know we cried together and we hugged. And my dad's not that guy. He never was that guy. I, I mean. If he would have just found it and like you know took the gun from me and we just sat and cried together, I would probably would have kept doing it. I would have just wanted more attention or yeah. But but getting my ass whooped, it, it like I don't want to say cured me, but it, it did kind of for a while. I was cool for a while. I started, you know, I was doing music a lot then. I was always on tour and that kept me busy. Like my goal, I was in like six bands and nobody ever knows. Everybody would always be like, oh, you you do so much stuff. You're in all these bands. Well, it was to keep my mind off of things. Like, if I'm alone in a room, I just, I can't stop thinking. And me just thinking is terrible. So I would just try to always stay busy. That was cool. Like, if you ever listen to any of my music, um, like my last, like, hip hop album is just painfully, there's some lyrics in there that are even hard for me to listen to because they're just painfully suicidal. I just talk about my own death throughout the whole thing, about like all the, just, it's kind of ridiculous, actually, but I was fine for a while, just like putting it out into music. And then I met this girl, uh, Vicky, I want to say, hopefully she listens to this. And um, I ended up getting her pregnant and um, it was insane. And swear to God, I was going to leave her for my ex-girlfriend, which I wasn't going to. And uh this is like a hard story for me to tell, actually. She ended up going and getting an abortion because she she just she told me that she to raise her child, and it crushed my soul, like it really fucking like killed me. And I ended up going away for the army like a couple weeks after that happened, and I didn't tell anybody about it. But while I was gone, she would send me pictures of like ultrasounds and just like pictures of ultrasounds and write me these letters about the kid and if we would have had the kid and all this stuff like it never happened. And it fucking I like I can't even describe to you how I felt, but it would when I would get these letters, it like the next day, I'm sure you remember. I don't I know the Marines probably do the same thing. We did, uh, uh, you know, how it's all those fucking like stupid PowerPoints and shit in basic training. Yeah. Well, we do the PowerPoints about like kids that died during the war or like, you know, about kids committing suicide or kids, you know, just stuff about kids dying. And I would just be, I would feel so guilty that, and every time we go on, you know, every time we would go to like shoot or anything, I would just, just think about, just doing it right there on the range or I would fake sick. Like one time I fake sick and I was trying to get all these pills and just take them like, you know what I mean? Uh, and you know, but then they, they kept them all downstairs. So I couldn't take them. It was just any chance I would get. I was just, I thought about it every single night. I would just stay up all night in my little bunk. Just think about it. It was the roughest time of my life right then. I, I, I mean, this girl still talks to me sometimes and it, Actually drives me crazy. Wow! And so, so how long ago was that? How long ago was was boot camp? 
Or uh, basic, whatever, whatever it is the ago? army people call it. Six years ago? Whatever it is. What do you guys call it? Uh, we call it boot camp. Uh, six years ago. So, did you actually, like, attempt while you were in, in boot camp, or was it just, uh, you just were experiencing, like, the symptoms? It was really just the symptoms, uh, cause I, I kinda, you know what? Honestly, I was, I was a little bit scared of getting my ass whooped again. <laughs> yeah. And I know it sounds funny, but, like, they, you know, they told you, just, I'm sure you had the same thing. They told stories, like, you know, whenever one time some kid did something and we ripped him up and beat his ass, and I was just like, oh, well, I don't want that to happen to me on the range. I'm laughing because I, I think it's, I think it's funny that the, that the army gave you flashbacks of what your father did. Cause it's, 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 it's funny because like that's like, the, yeah. And it's funny cause like that's like the, the role that like the military takes, right? Is like, we, you're not with your family anymore. We're worse. Uh, we, you will be disciplined in much, uh, worse fashions. <laughs> so that's six years ago. You attempted a few times when you were, when you were a teenager. Have you, have you attempted suicide since basic training? I, I haven't, I haven't attempted. Um, I've thought about it um, plenty of times. I mean, there's been, there's been hard times, you know, like, uh, yeah. I told you about the, I don't know if I did tell you about it, but I actually don't even talk to my dad anymore. We have, our, uh, had a big falling out and, uh, I was homeless. Me and my wife, my now wife were homeless together for almost a year. And we had been, it was very, 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 very hard. What's up? Um, place so- to place. And there was a couple nights where I was like, I, I should just drive into this wall or I should just take all these pills or, you know, like I remember last Thanksgiving. This was this was as close to an attempt. I hadn't drank in years. I stopped drinking because of, you know, all these um my past where I would down a bottle of NyQuil or some vodka and just chase it with pills and try to kill myself. I, I just said I was never going to drink again. And last Thanksgiving, you know, when all this stuff happened with my my dad and my brother, I mean, my brother stopped being cool, too. And we, you know, everybody would go to my mom's house in Jersey to visit her. So me and Lauren went over there. I tried not to go. My mom cried like, oh, you have to come. And I was like, my guilty conscience made me go. And me and my brother at the end just ended up screaming. I almost I gripped him up. I was going to kill him. And I ended up leaving and everybody there was mad at me and everybody in the house was crying. And me and Lauren left, and that night, uh, Lauren went to work. She She's a nurse, so she worked overnight. And I went to the studio, and on my way home, I bought a bottle. And I was that was the first time I drank. And I was just going to drink the entire thing and just hope that I died. But I ended up being all right. And it was that was the first time in a while. So, so when you, you know, so you said you thought about it, um, I mean, that's something that I resonate with is, um, you know, I've, uh, since, since my suicide attempt, it's come on my mind plenty of times. And it seems that in the past few years, it's come on my mind more as in like, I contemplate, or I, I ponder it, uh, more than I actually like contemplate it. And is that the same, is that true? Is that the same for you? Or when it comes on your mind, you're actually like considering the act? kind of a mixture of both because sometimes I'll think about how I'll do it or I'll be like, and and here's like, now I think I'm at a point where I don't think, I really don't think I would before it was, I want I to. And now I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm slowly dying anyway from just being sick because of the Crohn's and it's like spreading my colon. And 
I'm like, well, do I really need to end it now? Like, anyway, it, it, like the the thought of death ha- doesn't scare me anymore. So, so and, why not? What do you what do you think uh, changed that? I I don't know. Like, because now I people to upset. I, I guess it, I just feel, I I feel like I, I the reason I don't I think is because I don't want people to think negative. I go now. Does that make sense? Yes. No. Absolutely. Like... It makes perfect sense, and I'm sh- and I promise you that uh, people listening are like nodding their head uh, because that's that's something that 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 so many people feel. Uh, I'll just I'm gonna put it out there that I love Steve Skax and I don't want to see you die. Um, I would. <laughs> well, <thank you>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to see you die either. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm... man, we are we're making leaps and bounds in this friendship. Uh, yeah, so I mean, really recently, um, me and like me and Lauren, we you know we when all that stuff was going on, we got into it pretty heavy, and um, I was really thinking about you know one of those nights where just everything goes wrong. She's like the last person I have left, so I went to the studio and I really was just thinking about like how much I wanted to do it, and I ended up just writing the song, and the song was very suicidal song, and in the song the lyrics were like. Uh, I find happiness and sadness. I'm real tragic. And I, it was the most real thing. And it's like almost when I'm not miserable, I I have it on my mind more. But when I'm just disgustingly de- solitude, it's fucking weird. Huh. That is weird. Um, it is. So what did, did you ever, um, did anybody during your time, because you're, you're recently out, right? You just had your final drill not too long ago. Well, um, I just actually today I turned everything in. I turned all my army stuff in, and um, I have to stick around until um, January to you know for all the processing. They make you do it like three months out, but yeah. I have nothing left. Okay, so in your six years, did you ever discuss your suicidal behavior? Um, with anybody like in your unit or anybody associated uh, with the military? Uh, absolutely not. Okay, absolutely. And just because it's still it still really looked down on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we you know we have the ACE meeting. I don't know what you guys call it, but ACE. Uh, I don't even remember what it stands for now. But <laughs> we'd have clearly the meetings it's every year. Yeah, exactly. Ace, carry your ACE card. I threw those out. Like honestly, like that. It's very ineffective and. We have all the meetings and everybody go around and tell their story about somebody who committed suicide. And I mean, the military handles that stuff is just so. Do you ineffective? Do you think in those in those meetings? I think one of the things that are ineffective about those meetings, um, and I, I think uh, I haven't been to a lot of these meetings, but this is just this would be this would be what I would wonder going into one if I was to observe one. I think for people who aren't used to those kinds of meetings, so like so like AA meetings and like Narcotics Anonymous stuff like that, people that go to those are like used to what the format is and why it's there and they care about it. But people who go to support group meetings or like these once in a in a long while, like trying to have this effective group discussion, I think a lot of people fall uh, victim to 
just waiting for their turn to talk versus listening to what's actually being said around them. Especially when you know you're going to take turns, when you know that you're going to, that you're encouraged or supposed to speak. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like the first day of class, right? Where everybody goes around and says their name, where they're from, what their, what, you know, what their favorite movie is, stuff like that. You, you're yeah. barely ever listening to what people are saying because you're still like, okay, I know I have to talk. I know that's something that I'm required to do. I'm encouraged to do that. And you're just thinking about like, what am I going to say when it's my turn to talk? And so I think one what uh part of the ineffectiveness of those like you know everybody talk about someone that you know committed suicide is I think you're preparing your 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 story so much that you're not actually like taking in what everybody else is saying so you really only leave with uh the story that you told and just maybe the assurance that other people have similar stories but you don't really actually grow your your mind really isn't expanded from other stories or other experiences I agree with that and and I also think that it's not everybody wants to talk about killing themselves in a group. I mean, a unit is big. My unit was 254 people. I don't want to talk about killing myself in front of 254 people. I really have 50 of them. And they're all just like a bunch of, you know, army dudes. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to talk to a bunch of infantry guys about, you know, killing myself over an abortion or my mommy issues. It just doesn't sit well with me. I, I could talk. It's honestly, it's weird talking to you about it, and you're the only one here. It's, it's, it's like only certain people know about it. My wife doesn't even know all of this stuff. Like maybe Ethan knows about it because he's been there with me while I've tried to do it a couple times, and you know, talked me out of it. Are you okay with but, him hearing this? Yeah. What I mean, do you right. What do you think What do you think the response is going to be when, um, when they learn something new? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Does that make you nervous? Not nervous because I don't know if I care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what I mean? But like, it's just like, I I don't know if it matters anymore. Um, but I like, I know like my mom will probably cry if she listens to it. I mean, she did the same thing. She listened to my, uh, you know, my first album and she cried. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, I mean, it was like good to talk about it. Like my dad, like, once it was all happening, he he told her because they they maintained a relationship, um, and he told her about some of that stuff. Like I was drinking, and you know, but she would cry. And do you drink now? Um, no, I like I if I'm like really depressed. The other night, actually. So it's <laughs> <laughs> the other night. I had a real because we we just almost got so we just got kicked out of our house two weeks ago, and we just had to move into a new house, and it's a. And we've been trying to clean all like the dead shit up. And these people that were moving in are, were like trying to kick us out of this house already because they just didn't want to change anything on their lease. What did, what did homeless, what do you mean by you were homeless for a year? Like you, did you ever go without a place to stay or you just didn't have a primary residence for however long? Oh yeah. We, we literally like did not have anywhere to stay. There was like my car had everything that I owned in it. And we would, didn't know what we were doing. Like we would go to like friends, like, can, can we crash here for a day? Like, you know, we were just everywhere and it's, and it really fucking sucked. 
But, you know, the uh, I just read a article on homelessness in San Francisco, and it's, like, people with full-time jobs, and they're actually, like, living semi-productive lives. They just can't afford to live in San Francisco. And they, you know, I just you just learned about how exhausting it is. Um, while it's unstable, it is possible. And, and how just exhausting it is that so much part of, so much part of your day is just figuring out where you're going to sleep that night. Um, you know, what did, you know, what did that, what's that? You, you really have no idea. And it, and it would be, you know, when we'd finally get somewhere to stay or like somebody would let us stay for like a month and then want to charge us a couple hundred dollars. All you can, you, you have no chance to get ahead. You have no chance to get ahead because every little break you get, you're spending your money to take that opportunity. So it just took us forever to get on our feet until somebody that Lauren worked with helps out. And we actually got married while we were homeless. And that was like the best decision of my life. It, it just, I don't know why it just was like the turnaround point of that dark age. What did it, what, what was it other than like the, the novelty and the, um, the sentiment of, of like being married and, and being able to celebrate that? What do you think about that? Um, about that decision really turned things around? It was just like a po- like one positive thing in the sea of negative. I know it really does. Honestly, to me, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, I love Lauren, and we've been together forever. Nothing has changed since we got married, besides that title. But I can't even. Wear, I don't even wear. Just have a tattoo on my finger. But it, I think it was just everything was so terrible then, and our relationship was straining. And, you know, I didn't talk to my dad and my brother and her, her and her mom. And it was just so terrible that this one little thing, this one thing where we got married and we didn't, we didn't invite anybody. We did it at a courthouse. There was like a couple people there. I wore my, uh, my military dress blues and it was just us and a couple, like three other people. And it was nice. And it was just, we needed that one day to just stop worrying. And have this nice day, and it it just literally changed everything around. Like a couple months later, we ended up finding a place, lived there for six months, and you know I started working for that place I won't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but because of me, because of the homelessness and all that, that's why I had to take that job because I just needed some extra money. Yeah, no, I get you. Uh, it's interesting. I'm sure. You know, I was, so I was homeless, uh, for like a month and a half around the same time, in that same period that you were homeless. Um, I think, I think we had a brief exchange about it. Um, I was probably, it was probably less stressful for me, um, because, I mean, I never really went without a place to stay, but it was a constant, like, logistical process every couple of days to figure out, well, where I'm gonna sleep tonight, or where I'm gonna sleep this weekend. Fortunately, I was able to find, like, stays for, like, uh, you know, four days or more, so it wasn't as, uh, um, as, constant but uh i know i mean i know one thing that i learned from that is i'm extremely resourceful and i mean have you have you did you experience like uh did you notice like a growth in your resourcefulness coming out of that after like constantly because you you have to become very resourceful when you don't have a place to live you have to like really think about what your options are not only just like we're gonna sleep how you're gonna eat how you're gonna manage your day who you're gonna talk to and all this sort of stuff did you notice any sort of growth in your resourcefulness after you had finally your life had stabilized? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day was a new lesson in life of, you know, like we found like when family members would let us stay and then that would go sour very quick. We would find out, you know, a lesson on who to trust and 
a lesson on how we, there was times we were living for a couple days or weeks or months hour and a half away from both of our jobs. Wow. And every day we'd have to figure out how we're going to get this money to get to where we got to go to work. So it, it was definitely, you know, learning resourcefulness. And now that we're us had to go through a similar situation, it was way less traumatic. We already kind of knew where we were going. Um, it's still a little stressful, but it's a, it's a lot more manageable. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm not having like all the same terrible thoughts that I did that time, but because probably that I already had to go through it for a longer period. Okay. Very well. So let's, um, you know, let's, let's maybe start wrapping this up with, you know, into like, what's good, you know, what's going on, you know, right now, like, what do you, what do you do for your emotional health? If anything, uh, like right now, man, if I tell you it's going to be ridiculous, but I guess I will for the sake of good radio. Um, <laughs> it's a really, really, really terrible story. So I got to actually go back to um, basic training to start this story. Okay. Never been very religious in my life. And um, during basic training, when I was going through all that stuff with, you know, with the girl sending me the, the pictures, I, when I was, so I started going to the church on Sundays and it was the first real time in my life I had gone to church. I ended up, that's where I ended up getting Crohn's disease and I got really, really, really sick and I was about to die and my parents got to come up. But one of the uh, pastors or the priest or the chaplain, I mean, at the church, God was killing me for being a vegetarian. And it was the most outlandish, crazy <laughs> thing that anybody's ever said to me that I was like, all right, that's it. I knew I didn't like religion for a reason. So I stopped being religious for six years. Recently, we just started doing a documentary on this this character called Philly Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's been on every TV channel and newspaper and for like the last year. No, but I'm looking it up right after this interview. Definitely look Philly Jesus up. Um, so we started doing a documentary on him for the Philadelphia Film Festival. He was a drug addict, suicidal drug addict and a rapper who went to jail and came out clean and started dressing like Jesus and preaching the word of God. And he didn't say he was Jesus, but he dresses like Jesus. He carries a giant cross all around the city. He baptizes people and it's kind of wild. So it was just a huge gimmick and I was almost offended by it. And I was like, this, this crazy nut. But so we started like getting, you know, we, we were interviewing all these people who knew him before. And then we finally started talking to him and, and, and he actually baptized me. And at first it was a joke. Like we were doing it. The, the documentary ends with me getting baptized by Philly Jesus. And it was a huge joke. But like after, like during it, like once we started talking to him, I actually like took it more serious and it actually like made me a, like religious again, like talking with this dude and I've been spending more time with him. Like he just did a Marcinelle's freestyle and I'm working on a gospel album with him and then it sounds insane, but like the like solitude of just like having that and it, it, it's nice. That's really, that's really interesting. It's weird though. I know it's a, it's a weird story, but it <laughs> Billy Jesus has brought me close to real Jesus. I like that. I like that. You getting closer to Jesus uh via Philly Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much that. Okay, um see is is there anything else um you know, a lot of people 
you know, I asked him to come on and, you know, clearly, you know, some people come to uh, these interviews with, you know, something that they hope to say or feel like they maybe they should say. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that, that you would like to, to put out there? I'll give you my opinion on it. Um, yeah, give me your opinion. If anybody's ever going through that, don't do it. Like, try to find something to get your mind. Do anything off of it because it's really not the answer. Breaking news. Experts say don't commit suicide. At breaking fucking news. And I know that it's, like, obviously, I think that there are, like, some circumstances. Like, that girl who was terminally ill and she had assisted. Yeah. I, I'm I'm okay with that. Like, that's, if, if you're in terrible, god-awful pain, that's different. But if you're, if you're just going through it, I, I know it's... Hey, but just talk to somebody or do something. And I'm the worst person to tell you that because you're actually the first person I've ever really talked to about all this. Uh, just don't do it. It's a cliche thing. Just don't do it. Do you, do you think you'll be, do you think that you'd be more open about talking about this now that you've had an outlet for it? Yeah, I, th- I definitely think so. I think I'll talk to, I, it'd be easier for me to talk about it again. Yeah. Um, and, and I think like, Another thing is I know I'm going to probably end up struggling with this for the rest of my life. Do I, in my mind right now, in my clear, sober mind, do I think that I'm going to do it? No. But do I think differently tomorrow if I have a god-awful day? So it's just something I know that definitely probably going to struggle with for the rest of my life. And it's almost like two different people live inside of me. One day I'm right, you know, if we get kicked out of our house again and my car explodes and whatever, you know, like I might feel complete opposite. Hopefully... You know, it never happens, but definitely relate to people that feel that same way. I don't know if anybody does, but I think hopefully that this will make it easier for me to talk to somebody else during those situations. Steve's a really great guy, and I'm I'm just so grateful every time I get a chance to talk to him. It's always a pleasure, and um, his willingness to come forward and talk about his you know experiences as a teenager, and then. Uh, you know, what he was going through in boot camp, very powerful stuff. The The resource that I want to suggest this week is a creative outlet. I mean, I've, I think, believe I've suggested this in the past um, in, a, in a different context, um, but it's really important uh, to be able to recognize a creative outlet that you may have that you can express the way that you feel to people. Uh, Steve has music, and he was able to take how he felt, put it into music, and it communicated to other people how he was feeling. And it's it's a way that you can reach out. It's a way that you can alert people, this is what I'm going through, without, you know, if you're uncomfortable with sitting down and having that face-to-face, you can put it through your these creations, whether it be art or music or poetry or storytelling, whatever it may be, and let the people around you know this is what I'm experiencing, and I want you to know that. So what I want you to do today, uh, this week, is think about that creative outlet that you may have. Think about ways that you can, re- that you can suggest creative outlets to someone that you feel like uh, may be able to better express themselves and communicate to others what they're going through. And keep those in mind and really try to implement them when appropriate. OneTooManyProject.com is the website where you can listen to all the other episodes. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. All the buttons are there to link you to those sites. And then, of course, OneTooManyProject.com slash ask 
has a device that allows you to record a question that will be answered on Friday's q and I have a few uh, lined up in the queue already that I'm really excited to get out there. Some, you know, I'm getting some great questions, and uh, I would love, uh, I love every opportunity I can to talk about this stuff. I hope you appreciated Steve's story as much as I did. Thank you for listening. See you next time.